So the famous Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy once wrote these words. Joy can only be real if people look upon their life as a service and have a definite object in life outside themselves and their personal happiness. I love this quote because it points out so clearly the reality we are not meant to find joy and fulfillment in ourselves. Isn't this not one of the defining aspects of discipleship? If we're talking about, as we have been, discipleship as this transformation from the brokenness that we were born in and have been raised in and the the influence, the discipleship we've been receiving from the world around us all this time when we are transformed by the grace of Christ and are now leading a life following Christ, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And part of this is the reversal of what the world's been teaching us, which is exactly what Tolstoy has been pointing out here. It's that you are meant to find joy in yourself. That's what the world tells us. It's something he recognized, and I hope we recognize, we'll definitely see it in the text from Philippians this morning, is that we will never find joy if you keep looking in here, looking to yourself. And that is completely contrary to what the world tells us. The world says, you know, You believe your truth. The world says, do what you want. The world says, find your hope in your identity, what you create. That's no way to find true joy and true fulfillment. And as disciples of Christ, we are disciples of true life. We're a people who have found life, the the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we want to be transformed, but that transformation happens, as John the Baptist said, by me decreasing and him increasing. Me turning further and further away from looking within and looking at myself and me looking outward at Christ. So this last message on discipleship, we're looking at discipleship as service. Disciples serve. In many ways, we aren't trying to say anything new. In fact, this message could have easily have been preached from Romans 12, 1 through 2, the passage we looked at when we were looking at the worship aspect of discipleship. You see, that, that verse, when we read it, we actually you may remember it was the reasonable service or our rational worship. The word, word for service and worship are the same one. They're interchangeable there. But we were talking about worship, what we were called to do. And this morning I want to talk about our responsibility as disciples of Christ to cultivate in our hearts and the hearts of others a spirit of humility and of service. And I can think of 
no better text to help us reorient ourselves and to establish a biblical foundation for what it means to serve than to look at Philippians chapter 2. This is where Paul went to address this same issue as he sought to teach the church at Philippi. He points us to our perfect example and he lays the foundation of grace and then our proper response to it, which is to serve as Christ served. So if you will, I invite you to read along with me from verses 1 through 11. You don't have to stand, I'll read the text here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just want to pray real briefly before we jump in. Father, Would you help us with the grace of the Holy Spirit to understand and apply this text this morning? Lord, would you give me words of wisdom or to help make clear what you are teaching us through your word? May we see Christ more clearly this morning than we've ever seen him before. Lord, as we see Christ, Lord, May our hearts, our motivations, Lord, our desires be transformed. And Lord, may Christ, Lord, be ever more visible in us as we, Lord, focus our gaze on Him. Lord, we pray all this in His name. Amen. So how does this text inform us about our service? Well, this series that we've worked through in the month of June, we've been focusing on how can we be more faithful disciples within the church. And what Paul is saying here, he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says that by definition, those who follow Christ are servants because Christ himself and like I know I could take this text I could get all of you here gathered here this morning I could preach a sermon where I guilt everyone here and myself included about how you need to do more 
You need to serve more. You need to do this more. And probably a lot of you need to hear that sermon. But that wouldn't be the point of this text. That would be a shortcut to the maturity I know we need. Each of us. Every one of us in this room. It would be a shortcut that far too many of us are guilty of taking. If I were to talk about serving and growing in your role as a servant and only suggest the practical ways in which you could serve, I would bypass the most important part of this passage. The Arguably one of the most important parts of discipleship training. If I were to bypass what really the text is setting before us as the foundation and the motivation of service, I would reinforce a worldly idea that honestly has infiltrated the church and is always in our minds. It'd be a legalistic idea of how to grow. That if you want to be a better disciple, you just need to go do more. And you might need to be doing more, but I would never want you to go and try to do more with the wrong motive, with the wrong expectation, or to challenge you to do more as if you thought that was going to earn you something. See, we have to look at what Paul establishes first. The church has long been informed by the world, and it always will face that temptation. It's been told so much that to be a better Christian, you need to do more. And you need to do more, and it should look like this. I love how uh, Pastor Mez McConnell put it. He says, we're not called to be a bunch of do-gooders and self-servers. You see, if we try to change the behavior before we let the gospel pour the foundation of grace, we'll end up crumbling under the weight of unrealistic expectations on one side and false hopes on the other. You'll end up being motivated to serve others because you feel obligated and you could enable somebody to continue to live in their sin because you feel compelled that you must help them get out of the broken situation that they're in. You could be motivated to help others because it makes you feel better. It gives you influence. It gives you the ability to help others and to heap praise upon yourself. And that would be a false motivation, an evil and even sinful motivation to serve. You might be motivated to serve out of an obligation that you must do this or God will frown upon you. You pour condemnation down on yourself. You wear yourself absolutely thin and you fail to see the good gift of God's love and His promise and commands even to rest. Or you may be very content in your service. Thinking, well I do this, I do that. And you think, I, I've done just fine. You stand confident from your own reasoning. 
in all of those motives. They all bypass exactly what we see in the text this morning. That our hearts of service are to be hearts that are responding to, first, the grace and the love and the service first shown us by Christ. You see, the biblical method of teaching service is that you first need to love Christ more. And those who love Christ more love themselves less and love others more. Do you hear that? The biblical method is that you first need to love Christ more. Those who love Christ more love themselves less and love others more. If you bypass Christ, you get a false gospel. A false gospel of works. A false gospel of self. So what we must first see, and I love that Paul says this, is that we must learn to serve by seeing how Christ first served us. So let's look at his example. We see his example listed by Paul. I want to come back to verses 1 through 4, but after we look at the example. You see, he if you look at verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, you're supposed to do all these things, but you have to have this mind first, and it's a mind that comes from Christ and your identity with Him. So Paul, even though he's introducing those things, he says, well, you need to see these commands, what you're supposed to do, but you better make sure that your motivation, that your foundation has been laid first by what Christ has done. And what he does through verses 5 through 9, 5 through 8, really, he lists this journey of Christ. It's known as the great Christ hymn. We see Christ, his selflessness, his service, his dissension to earth, take on human flesh. And I've talked about this four years ago when we were working through the book of Philippians as a whole. And I just wanted to bring up to under, help you see what's going on here in the text of what Paul is doing. He's writing this letter to a church in the city of Philippi. It's a Roman colony that is, has, it's, a, its citizens are Roman citizens because of the fact that they are a special colony in Rome. And Roman citizenship in the first century was everything. It gave you access to so many things, and if you weren't a Roman citizen, you could, th- you could be threatened, but not just financially, but threatened to be kicked out, to be taken somewhere. You had no legal, or had a much lower legal standing in court. To be a Roman citizen was to be a citizen of the greatest empire to have ever ruled the world, to have all the rights that came with that. But Paul writing to that church who understood that. They were outsiders, but insiders. They were a people who were so glad they had this special privileged status, even though they weren't within Italy, they weren't within Rome, but they were a Roman colony, but a city that had that access. They were putting their hope so much in Rome. And you see, the people of Philippi wanted to adopt the culture of Rome. And the 
Roman elites that were there influenced them. And you want to go up, move up this ladder of social status. Because that no doubt meant financial status and security. So what you saw in Philippi was this, this rat race, so to speak. Not dissimilar from the one we see here in our own country. That if you can just do all these things and gain the acclaim of men and, and serve in this role, you can do all these things, you'll gain, gain power and influence and a reputation and it will all benefit you. So aristocrats, or those who wanted to become that, they'd work their way through various positions and offices in order to gain honors, they'd gain power, gain acclaim, wealth along the way. They were celebrated then with monuments and inscriptions. Some of them donated by those that they honored or by fellow elites. Kind of like a scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. So I want to read you one of the inscriptions, and you see this inscription. It's called the, the, the Honors Race, so to speak. And we read about Publius Marius Valen. So we read this status, and this was on a stone inscription in the city of Philippi. It says, Publius Marius Valen, son of Publius, from the tribe Valtinia, honored with the decorations of a decurion, a deal, also a decurion of Philippi, which is an office in Philippi, priest of the divine Antoninus Pius, duumvir and sponsor of the games. That may sound like a bunch of nonsense to you, but what that said was, look, here is a stat, uh, an inscription devoted in honor of Publius. Publius. He was the son of this man. He's from this tribe. He's Honored, he was a decurion. He was a special official, honored as one who had influence and power. Someone who served the city of Philippi. He served specifically the city of Philippi. He also served as a priest in one of the local temples. These are honorifics. He was a sponsor of many, including a sponsor of the games, the big public events. So this man, he had given lots of his wealth to get acclaim and fame. And what you see is really a mirror, I think, of what we see in American society. A desire to make a name for yourself so that you can then help others. Make a name for yourself, including taking steps to serve others. And what we see is all that with the wrong motivation. You see, this guy, he enjoyed power, wealth, and influence. He held multiple positions of authority. He was even wealthy enough to sponsor citywide entertainment. And this practice of recording one's honors, the Philippian church probably were participants in some of these things. They, they knew who this guy was. So they know that there's this race to be honored and respected in society. And they know that that's a key to gaining security. Security for yourself, for your family. So this honors race is what society says. Go and pursue this. Find your security in this. Serve others because look what it will gain you in terms of fame, in terms of honor, in terms of influence. So the Philippian church, they, they knew well this honors race and probably saw inscriptions just like this all over the city. 
they knew people who were at the beginning, the middle, and the end of those, that honors race. And maybe themselves, even some of them, had participated in some of it. So when Paul, who's writing to this church at Philippi, says you need to know what it looks like to serve, he takes this, this cultural idea and he completely flips it on its head because he shows how Christ flips what the world expects on its head. So Paul presents Christ as the example of service and faithfulness. And we see that he willfully, he purposely moves his way not up the ladder, but down the ladder of honors. See, Paul wanted to invert the understood and celebrated social practices of the city of Philippi. He does so, he knew the cultural challenges of pride, of class, of wealth. He saw that they served as barriers to the integrity and growth of the church. So Paul wanted to upend their expectations. He wanted to disciple them by reversing what the world had been discipling them in and showing them what it looked like to be discipled by Christ, to be a disciple of Christ. See, says you're called to exemplify the character of Jesus Christ who gave up everything for the task of redemption. So what did He do for us? Look at verses 5 through 8. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, existed before all creation. We know that He was there when the world was created. He was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He existed in the the Trinity in perfect community, perfect fellowship. But Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, that grasp, but saw the opportunity to love and therefore put aside, that emptied Himself means that He put aside all of the honors that were due His name, all the glory that was due His name, and He took on the form of a servant. He took on human flesh. He became like us. He humbled himself when he did not have to. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, not just by taking on human form, but by then becoming obedient to the point of death. We saw Jesus tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself saying, look, you could have all of this if you just worship me. Why don't you serve yourself by turning those rocks into bread? Why don't you demonstrate your might and God's power over you by casting yourself off the top of the temple so that the angels will come and save you and demonstrate just who you are? You see, Jesus, being the perfect Son that He was, 
knew the Father's will, the Father's desires, the Father's plan to save mankind. And Jesus obeyed the Father. He humbled Himself through obedience even when it cost Him His very life. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not even a death that was swift and efficient. Not even a death that a Roman citizen would be spared from. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at what he did for us. The one who holds all things together, let his body be torn apart for us. The firstborn of all creation became the servant to all mankind. Do you see his love for you, a broken, rebellious sinner? He did not have to love us, but He did. He did not have to give up His rights, His privileges, His place in heaven, but He did because of His love for us. Paul knew the Philippians had been discipled by the world. That they would be tempted to see this command to serve and they would be tempted to let the worldly motivations infiltrate their service. They would be tempted to serve for all the wrong reasons. To gain power. To gain influence. To feel better about themselves. To even gain security. They would see that this service was an opportunity for themselves. But what we see in Christ's example is that the service that we are called to is the, the emptying of ourselves, the denying of self so that we might see the glory of God revealed. So Paul talks about this and he says, look, if you want to know how you're going to do these things, how you're going to love one another, how you're going to have unity, how you're going to be humble, you must first look to Christ. If you want to have proper motivation to grow in your discipleship and to grow as a servant of Christ, you must first look at Christ always. See, when we refocus our gaze on Christ, we now have a foundation by which to hear and act upon the commands given to us. So as you go back up to verses 1 through 4, we now see Paul had laid that foundation after he gave the commands, but this is what he says as the commands at the beginning of it. 
He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I love how Paul talks about this. You see the reality of Christ's effect in his heart. If you read on in chapter 3, if you read on in the book of Galatians, when Paul talks about himself, he says, look, in my former life, I was pursuing religion, pursuing the things of God, and I was doing it for myself to gain position, to gain honor. And he was great at it. But he said, when I encountered Christ, my life came crumbling down, but I found a hope that goes beyond all hopes, a purpose that goes beyond anything this world has to offer. And you now see the radical discipleship of Paul who has experienced, who knows Jesus Christ, has seen what Christ has done, you now see that being lived out through Paul's exhortation to even do the same to the Philippians. Because what does he say? He says, complete my joy. How will Paul find joy? By seeing the reality of Christ's work and His transformation power enacted, revealed, taken root in the church of Jesus Christ that He so loved. Paul can't even talk about growth and service growth as a disciple without talking about what Christ has done and exemplifying the type of selfless love the selfless ambition that Christ Himself showed. So what does this look like for us? I hope we've, we've established the foundation. Look at what Christ did for us. Knowing what Christ has done for us, we can now step forward and grow in discipleship. And it looks like these three things. The things that Paul talks about in these first four verses. It looks like being unified in mission. Selfless in ambition. And humble in action. I just want to look at those briefly because that's straight there. What does it mean to be unified? Paul says you complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, one could argue that the church of Jesus Christ has never been more disunified today in this world than it's ever been. one has to think is our lack of unity both on a large scale and both on a small scale due to the fact that we don't see the same mind that we're supposed to have. 
as you were to be of the same mind, the same love. But if that is rooted in anything other than the, the substitutionary, atoning work of Jesus Christ, who emptied Himself, as the text says, and became like us, died in our stead, if our unity is anything other than that, it's no wonder we see brokenness. So as we face challenges right now, and our nation is divided, we must seek justice, we must seek to love one another, but let's make sure that we are moving from the foundation of Christ's work on the cross for us, that we are all in need of redemption and change. We must be unified in our mission, and that means we must be unified in our knowledge of what Christ has done for us, and then what He's called for us to do. Being unified in mission, we can then, therefore we realize what that mission is, but then we are called to be selfless in our ambition. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We are called to love others and to consider them more significant more valuable than you yourself. Do you realize because of what Christ has done, your hope is not in this world. And we have to realize our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the world to come. Our eternity is secure. In the scheme of things, we can't even begin. This life is just this tiny little bit. Eternity will go on forever. Yet we hold on and let ourselves be motivated by things that are this small. This insignificant. And you realize just how much the world is constantly influencing us to protect what is yours, to, to find your rights. And we live in a country where we're thankful to have the, the, the rights that we recognize in our government. We're thankful for those things. But do we realize that no matter what privileges, no matter what rights we have as citizens of the United States, it's nothing compared to the rights and the privileges that we have that we may not experience, we will definitely not experience fully until the life that is to come. And it's only when we see those privileges, it's only when we see the life that is to come as our hope, our security, that we can then live in a way that says, I can value others more than myself because I know the reward is coming. It's coming. It may not be here today, but it's coming. And that changes completely the way that we have perceived service because we are so tempted to serve others so that we might gain a claim or influence in this world. We're so tempted to, to do service so that we might feel better about ourselves and we might get praised by those who we respect so that we might gain influence or access to another circle. We're just like the Philippians. We are to be selfless in our ambition because we know that the reward is in the kingdom to come, not here. And that means we can look at others and say, you are more valuable than me.
I can put your needs first. There's an important truth there is that you can do that, but you don't have to cater to their demands about what they think their ambition, their needs are because you know the one true hope and you can share that with them, not worried about what they think about you. So we're not motivated by guilt from one direction or the next, but we're motivated by love and a knowledge of eternity made possible for us by Jesus Christ. So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In Luke chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus says something that's so controversial to the disciples, it bothers them. You see, this is his response to the disciples, those who know him, who have life from him. He says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, We have only done what was our duty. See, do we see obedience is not some way for us to earn a better standing before God. Our standing has been secured by Christ's sacrifice for us. We now are only doing what was our and what is our duty. We're unworthy servants. We were unworthy, but Christ, who was worthy, humbled Himself so that we might have life. Do you see that as your motivation? That verse should be a check on every single one of us to say, look, I can't improve my standing before God, but now I know how to love, how to serve from a proper foundation. A foundation that's serving out of grace and out of love. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Unified in mission, selfless in ambition, humble in action. Mark 9.35, Jesus said to the disciples that they were arguing who was the greatest between them. Arguing that while they were on their way back to Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus upends the expectations He's discipling the world out of the disciples and discipling himself into them. Because who would be the one who would be first? He would be the one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and then said, follow me. Our actions are called to be humble because we're not supposed to take any credit for them in ourselves. Our, hum, our actions are to be humble because our actions are meant to bring glory to God, the one who saved us, the one who's given us life. You see, we are called to be servants, and if we want to be 
better servants. If you want to grow as a disciple of Christ, you do need to grow in your role as a servant. But the last thing that I wanted to do this morning is just give out a bunch of practical ways that you can go do more because you could go do more and condemn yourself even more if you haven't first found your justification in Christ's sacrifice for you and His love for you. So my plea for you this morning, if you've been living a Christian life where you've been seeking to establish your position in God by your own works, by your own deeds, stop. Look at what Christ has done for you and know that you cannot justify yourself. You cannot improve your own position, but look at what Christ has done for you and then see that He desires for you to have a heart that reflects His heart. That's only possible when we repent, we acknowledge our sinfulness, His holiness, His righteousness, His sacrifice that was necessary for our life, our hearts. It was necessary for us to be redeemed. But it was an act all of grace. Because He did not have to, but because of His love, He did. We are called to be servants. So yeah, we need, we need help when it comes to doing some of the basic stuff for how we do a service. I mentioned that in the announcement. There are people in our community who need desperate help. They need basic education and things like, I mean, whether it's reading to finances to job training. And people here have the skills to be able to serve in those capacities. People here have the skill to be able to serve in the capacity of financial giving, and that's wonderful. But what people really need is people who are going to walk alongside them as disciples and disciple makers and show them this is what day in, day out, day-to-day living looks like as I seek to be transformed by Christ and I look to the hope that is to come, not this world. So one of the greatest ways that you can serve one another here in the church and you can serve people in the community is by pointing to Christ, pointing to the hope that you have in eternity. Say, look, here's where I was putting my hope in this world, in this security, in this effort. But look where my hope is now. And guess what? Your joy will be made complete when you serve and point others to Christ. I want to have this joy that Paul talks about. I want every one of you to have this joy. And I need help because I've got to grow. I'm a selfish person. Boy, marriage will teach you that and then having a kid will teach you that. But you know what? My hope is not what I can do to discipline myself. My hope is in what Christ has done and He is changing me day in and day out and He will change you day in and day out. A lasting change, real change, it only comes by gazing at Christ. So my challenge to you this morning, yes, do more if you need to. 
But don't do more until you first see Christ more. We must decrease and He must increase. Let's look to Christ more and more. Let's grow as disciples who serve not for our sake, but for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. Let's pray.